It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. I watched 80 hours of post-draft press conferences, so you don't have to. Here are my top six fantasy takeaways. I'll start us off with one that absolutely no one else is talking about. Chris Rodriguez is your top rookie sleeper, both in underdog best ball drafts and in rookie drafts. His analytics profile really wasn't all that bad at all. I wasn't in love with him, but I, I definitely seemed to like him a lot more than anyone else. Well, Anyone else besides the Washington Commanders, who reportedly, per beat writer Nikki Javala, had a round three grade on him. They mentioned that in their press conference. Ron Rivera said, we had a higher grade on him as well, so we thought we got a lot of value here. The grades we had on him, he was sticking out like a sore thumb. He said, maybe some people only view him as a two down back, but we didn't. We got really excited about Martin Mayhew's vision with him. And based on a number of people we talked to, we think he can be a lot more than that. Another quote, we got another big physical guy. That was one of the things that Eric Bieniemy wants to do. This was a guy Eric was very high on, a guy that Eric thinks will most certainly have a role for us on the offensive side talking to Eric and how he wants to use him. In Eric's mind, this is a guy that will fit in with what he wants. So it seems they have a clear role in mind for him this year. It seems he was handpicked by their new offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. What this means to me is that Rodriguez will immediately compete for carries against Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson in what will inevitably be some sort of committee. But I like his chances against these names. Antonio Gibson spent a great deal of time last offseason living exclusively in Ron Rivera's doghouse. Rivera was frequently publicly critical of his play and basically relegated him to only kick return duties before Robinson suffered an unfortunate injury. Sources told us privately prior to the decision to draft Robinson that the team had seriously soured on Gibson. And at the moment, he's still working his way back from foot surgery. Brian Robinson does have round three draft capital on his side, but that doesn't really give him a major edge on Rodriguez, especially if Nikki Javala's report is true. And besides, he wasn't handpicked by the new offensive coordinator like Rodriguez was. And sure, Robinson was dealing with injury last year, but his play wasn't all that inspiring. Among 50 qualifying running backs, Robinson ranked seventh worst in rushing yards over expectation per carry. Ultimately, Chris Rodriguez checks in as my RB9 in rookie drafts in between Tank Bigsby and Chase Brown. And for underdog best ball drafts, I really like him in the last rounds as a sleeper. My number two takeaway is that Jackson Smith and Jigba's landing spot is really unideal in the short term. Sure, he has to compete for targets alongside studs like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And we know Pete Carroll likes to lean run heavy. The biggest concern I have is that Carroll loves 12 personnel. He's always run 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field, two wide receivers on the field at one of the highest rates in the league. And that means that JSN as the slot wide receiver is probably riding the bench when only two wide receivers are on the field. The one glimmer of hope that I had was that the offensive coordinator Shane Waldron ran 11 personnel at the highest rate in the league when he was with the Rams. 
A beat reporter asked Pete Carroll exactly about this. And if the decision to take a third wide receiver this high means we might see a change in personnel. And basically he said, no, we really like our tight ends. This was more about maximizing our three wide receiver plays when we do have three wide receivers on the field than any sort of change in personnel. And this really destroys JSN's floor, especially in year one. Seattle had three or more wide receivers on the field on just 64.5% of their dropbacks last year. That ranks sixth fewest among all teams. And basically, this implies if things don't change at all, he's at a 65% route share at best. That would put him at about 25 routes per game, which would have ranked only 75th among wide receivers last year. From a redraft perspective, I'm probably fading him. It sucks because I think if he landed in Green Bay, I would have promised you 100 catches this year. From a dynasty perspective, I still love the talent. I think buying JSN is exactly like buying Keenan Allen in 2013. Mind you, Allen has finished as a wide receiver one in six straight seasons. So he's definitely still a player I'm targeting. But then again, he's probably going to be cheaper in a few months. Immediately following the draft, I basically had JSN and Jameer Gibbs tied right behind Bijan Robinson with maybe Anthony Richardson also in that tier. But after watching these press conferences, I had to bump Gibbs above JSN because I really do think Gibbs has way more upside in the short term. And I do think in about three months, Gibbs is going to be maybe three rounds more expensive in dynasty startups. That brings us to our number three takeaway. The Lions are insanely high on Jameer Gibbs. I don't ever remember a team getting this excited about a round one pick in my life. They acted like they just traded DeAndre Swift for Patrick Mahomes. I know the NFL mock draft Cognoscenti destroyed the Lions for taking a running back this early, but they feel really good about it. The GM said they were comfortable taking him at six overall ahead of Bijan Robinson had they not traded down. The GM also slipped up and said they got a number of congratulation texts from a number of different teams. One of those texts, presumably from the Jets, told them that he wouldn't have made it past pick 15. And I think that's a little interesting because it means then that the two teams with the most interest in Jameer Gibbs were also the two teams with the most interest in wideback Debo Samuel. Perhaps this hints at a sort of running back plus or or wide receiver masquerading as a running back sort of role with massive fantasy upside. And so they took him with the 12th overall pick. That is rare draft capital for a running back, especially in today's day and age. Since 2011, there's been six running backs drafted inside of the top 12. And those running backs have averaged 296 touches and over 1,500 yards from scrimmage per game in their rookie seasons. For perspective, those numbers would have ranked ninth best and eighth best last year. Jameer Gibbs is currently the RB12 in underdog drafts. And the Lions running back coach, Scotty Montgomery, said he thought that Gibbs was the best space player in this draft. And I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I mean, analytically, you can sort of see it. Gibbs averaged more career yards per route run than Jalen Hyatt, Zay Flowers, or any tight end from this class. Montgomery also said he views Gibbs as an every down running back. He doesn't see David Montgomery or Jameer Gibbs serving different roles, just that they can be used interchangeably on all three downs in any situation to keep defenses honest. And he went out of his way to mention that he also thinks that's true near the goal line. 
And I think that's important, especially the near end zone usage, because that was a slight concern I had pre-draft. I like both his upside in the short term and long term. Uh, I, I think drafting him is sort of like drafting Austin Eckler a few years ago. I think in super flex rookie drafts, he's your 102 or 103. Bijan Robinson goes one. Jameer Gibbs goes either 102 or 103 after Anthony Richardson. And I think if you're in a dynasty startup, you can take Gibbs as high as the third running back off the board behind only Bijan Robinson and Jonathan Taylor. My number four takeaway is that the Buffalo Bills view Dalton Kincaid as a slot wide receiver. He was far and away their top target in the draft. They moved up to get him. And if he wasn't there, they would have traded back out of round one. They were really worried that the Chargers would have taken him. Uh, Brandon Bean was asked about the wide receivers in this class. He didn't seem very high on them, probably highest on JSN. And I think it's possible that they thought Kincaid was either the best or the second best pure receiver in this class. And they do view him as more of a receiver, a slot wide receiver like Cole Beasley than as a true tight end. Here are some quotes from Brandon Bean. He's a receiving tight end. When he and Dawson Knox are in the game, that's technically 12 personnel, but I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. That's basically 11 personnel because he's not your standard Y tight end. We're going to get nickel coverage when he's out in the field. He's going to be in the slot and flexed out a lot. Basically, we view him as more of a receiver than a tight end. We're not going to have him block a lot. He mentioned Cole Beasley and said, this guy, Don Kincaid, is like Beasley, but in a different body type that does all of the things that Cole Beasley does. He has elite hands. He's a really good route runner. Tremendous separation ability at the top of his route. And this is exactly what you want to hear. From a fantasy perspective, you want tight ends who are basically wide receivers masquerading as tight ends. They're not blocking. And the majority of the routes they're running, are they're not chip blocks. They're, they're coming from the slot. You're, you're thinking of guys like Kelsey and Darren Waller. And Kincaid is exactly of that archetype. So after watching this press conference, I did bump Dalton Kincaid up a few spots in my rookie rankings. He's now my 109 and definitely my tight end one in this class. From a redraft perspective, we don't really, we should never really expect too much from a rookie tight end, but a few years down the road, could this be Josh Allen's Travis Kelsey, Josh Allen's Rob Gronkowski. Could he be the number two receiver on the team? I could see it. It's possible. And that's exactly why you should be chasing his rare upside in rookie drafts, especially tight end premium rookie drafts. My number five takeaway is that the Colts were extremely high on quarterback Anthony Richardson. The owner, Jim Ursay, said that they still would have taken him even if he had the first overall pick in the draft. Unlike many other teams, they didn't pretend like he's going to have to compete against Gardner Minshew to earn the starting role. They continually stressed that young quarterbacks need as many reps as possible, how important and valuable that is. So in spite of him being pretty raw or inexperienced, he only had 13 career starts in college. I do expect him to start for most, if not all of his rookie season. I also love this landing spot. The new head coach, Shane Steichen, coach Jalen Hurts over the past two seasons. That's another hyper mobile quarterback. Over this span, Hurts ranked behind only Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes in fantasy points per game. And he was really close to Mahomes. If you just give him one more passing touchdown, he would have beat out Mahomes as the QB two over this span. 
And that's not all. Steichen also coached Justin Herbert in his rookie year. That season, Herbert threw 31 touchdown passes and averaged 289 passing yards per game. Both marks ranked best all time by a rookie quarterback. And Herbert that year also averaged 22.9 fantasy points per game. That was 5.8 more than what he averaged last year. So Richardson, to me, in a super flex draft, should be the 102. If you really need a quarterback, if you really need a running back, maybe the 103, you can take Gibbs ahead of him. But feel really good about him there. And from a redraft or best ball perspective, right now he's the QB 11 in our projections. And on a fantasy point per game basis, he'd be our QB 9. So he's a great pick in either format. My number six takeaway is that the NFL is a lot higher on Will Levis than his draft capital implies. Initially, I saw him land in round two, and it's, okay, that doesn't really guarantee anything. You know, they could still re-sign Ryan Tannehill. But after watching these press conferences, I came out way more bullish on Will Levis. Sure, he did fall to round two, but it seems like he very easily could have went round one. And maybe nothing more than a little bit of bad luck cost him upwards of $25 million. The Colts owner, Jim Ursay, said they would have taken him if Richardson wasn't there at their pick. And they might have still taken him at round two if if he fell to their next pick. Jim Ursay tweeted something out to that effect. The Titans GM, Rand Carthon, said they would have taken him at pick 11 if Skaronsky wasn't there, and that they did try multiple times to trade back up into round one to take him. According to Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, Baltimore probably would have taken him at pick 22 had they not just agreed to a deal with Lamar Jackson earlier in the day. And then the Panthers GM, Scott Fitterer, was asked by a reporter, so you thought highly of all three quarterbacks? And he went out of his way to correct the reporter and say, no, 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 we thought highly of all four quarterbacks. So all of this was very weird to me. Why would the Panthers go out of their way to praise Will Levis? Uh, And then with the other three teams, it it does seem, hey, if Skaronsky went to the Bears at pick 10, Will Levis would have had top 12 draft capital. If if Lamar Jackson was slow to sign his deal, he would have went round one to the Ravens. Or if any team accepted a trade offer from the Titans, he would have went round one. Or if Richardson went a pick earlier, he would have been a top five pick. So after all this, I, I am a lot more bullish on Will Levis. And I bumped him up in my rankings because of that. Sure, round two draft capital isn't great, but he very easily could have been round one. And looking at the Titans' salary cap situation, I do think it makes the most sense for them to move on from Ryan Tannehill next year. So there you have it, my top six fantasy takeaways. But before we depart, I've got a few other quick hits for you. When Chargers GM Tom Telesco was asked about Quentin Johnston and if if he could step into a starting role early, he answered, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. He has to earn it. But also, there's only so many balls to go around. We'll kind of have to see how it plays out. We're really high on Josh Palmer. And you don't really love to hear that. You know, typically a GM, when they've just taken a player 45 minutes earlier, is a little bit more excited, a little bit more amped up to hype him up. Uh, So that is a little discouraging. and And it plays back into what we talked about with JSN. The Chargers were middle of the pack in three wide receiver personnel last year, only about 78% of their passes. Another interesting point on this is that Brandon Staley said in praising him, we really like his yards after the catch ability and what that does to unlock Keenan Allen and Gerald Everett 
And that was just interesting to me that he would mention Gerald Everett. You know, like when you think of Chargers top playmakers, you don't really think of Gerald Everett. So maybe he's a decent late round best ball dart throw. Another point, the Raiders said that Michael Mayer was a top 15 overall player on their board and that they talked about trading up for him in round one. So maybe he's another guy that the team likes more than draft capital implies. Uh, we know that Mike McDaniel loves running back Devon A-Chain. Chris Greer basically said that they decided they were taking him two to three weeks before the draft took place just because of how high Mike McDaniel was on Devon A-Chain. But then again, also, Mike McDaniel did say they are looking to add a veteran presence to that running back room before the start of the season. Jets head coach Robert Sala said that Brees Hall looks really good in rehab. That's encouraging. You do like to hear that. We're hearing rumors that Dalvin Cook isn't going to be long for a Vikings uniform. We're hearing uh, per sources, word on the street, we're hearing that uh, they're just waiting for him to get healthy enough to pass his physical, and then he's going to be traded. So I, I do think it's a little noteworthy that the Vikings said they had a starter grade on Dwayne McBride. They were very high on this player, and they, they did go out of the way to say they are bullish on his pass-catching potential. Although he wasn't used much in that role in college, they do see a lot of potential and upside there. It wasn't just lip service in this interest. Oftentimes it is. They, they just mentioned it repeatedly enough to me that, that I do kind of buy into at least they think he has that sort of upside. Another point is uh, I just got like really bad vibes on Roshan Johnson. I think that Chicago Bears landing spot is really interesting. Brett Whitefield's pre-draft comp for Roshan Johnston was David Montgomery. So to me, it's, oh, he just slides right into that David Montgomery role, or maybe it's a 50-50 committee there. But I did get really bad vibes from this press conference. Uh, the area scout said that the best thing he does arguably is special teams. So that's what made this feel like a slam dunk pick for us. Uh, they talked about his A-plus character nonstop. Uh, he talked about his special teams and pass blocking ability. So a lot of stuff that doesn't contribute to fantasy points. You kind of wanted them to say, well, he's elite at breaking tackles. You know, he's a he's a grinder. He's, you know, he, he can do this and he has pass catching potential. And we, we just didn't really hear that at all. Uh, that's just, you know, I, I'm not moving him up or down in my rankings, but it's just a little unideal. Uh, they also told a story about why they drafted him was that when they were interviewing him, in a meeting room uh, before they left uh, Roshan went out of his way to clean up a bunch of empty water bottles and, and throw them in the trash. Uh, yeah. Again, you just, you, you that, that's, that's a cool story, but you know, you, you want to hear them saying this guy's awesome. You know, he's our new David Montgomery and we just didn't hear that, but these are more less actionable takeaways. These, these final quick hits. Uh, but my top six takeaways at the start of this video, those are noteworthy to me and did factor. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.